It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. If you're loving this podcast, please support the show by visiting patreon.com slash inthekeyofq. For as little as £3 a month, approximately $5, you can enjoy all sorts of exclusive content, including our series Songs to Save from Armageddon, in which the guests discuss their top five favorite tracks ever. That's at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. Thank you very much. A big thanks to those who have rated and reviewed in the key of Q, especially to Shady Pines 01, who says in his review that he enjoys the relaxed interview style and looks forward to hearing more. With a moniker Shady Pines, I'm guessing he's a Golden Girls fan. Well, my chat about that brilliant show with today's guest will appear in an extended interview package over on Patreon in the coming weeks. All that's left to say is enjoy this episode. One time I did a show at Stonewall and it was part of like an evening of, of a lot of queer artists and a lot of, a lot of them were pop dance stuff. So they're doing their thing and then I come on with my fucking ukulele singing my song about my dead dad. This drag queen was like, wow, that's too sad. And I'm like, mm. or maybe it's my art. I'm not telling you how to paint your face. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. I love popular music and have spent my life translating mostly heteronormative songs onto my gay experience. But I think it's time I found my own voice, directly and without translation. So in this podcast, I'm going in search of musicians from around the world who inspire and mirror my own queer journey. Welcome to In The Key Of Q. And today I'm talking with New York-based singer-songwriter Vincent DiGeronimo. Vincent's music is moody, maybe even melancholic. Its organic lo-fi mood is a respite from the oft-electro-dominated world of queer music. Vincent, it's great to have you on the show. That's lovely. Thank you. Well, I do have an English literature degree. Well, oh, well who cares? Don't, you don't, I mean, Jesus, you don't have to brag. You don't have to brag. My master's degree is right on the wall here, buddy. I was born in New York City. I lived in New York City until I was about 10. And then my family moved us to a very small town in Connecticut. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Um, and my whole family is from New York City. So I, I still to this day can't make sense of why they chose to do that. Um, and I was always very theatrical. Even as a kid, I would watch like Janet Jackson music videos and Paula Abdul music videos and just copy the choreography. And, and so 
my parents put me in dance class and and so are you in at this point are you out of new york or are you still in new york at this point i was out of new york from from the age of 10 to 18 i was in this small town in connecticut so what was it like going so i'm a londoner so i've mm-hmm. grown up in a big city so what was it like for you just new york being in your dna and being your norm and suddenly mm-hmm. having that stripped away death Really? Death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I felt so uncomfortable and so out of place and so like I couldn't express myself at all for fear of what everyone around me would do and say. And even when I tried to shut it down, it was still said anyway. Yeah. You know, and again, this is the, the, the early mid nineties. So it wasn't like, you know, a few years ago, it was several. It reminds me of the film Trevor, where he's, uh, I think the character's about 13 or 14 and he's being mocked for being gay and he's, he's out to himself and he tries to hide it. And he, and he says in the voiceover, does it show? And it's like that, isn't it? You, I remember trying to hide traits and stuff and they're just going to leak out. Oh yeah, it's like it's like a balloon, and you keep squeezing it, but a, another bit of fagness pops right. out, and someone notices it and and mocks you for it. And there was not a day that went by that I was not called fairy queen, faggot. I would, uh, you know, the the typical slammed into lockers and and all that stuff. Food thrown at me. Um, people saying that they would want to hit me with their trucks or their cars in the in the school parking lot. Um, there was one year we, the, the high school, the musical was Bye Bye Birdie that year. And every year, uh, the drama department, as it were, um, would put on like just a few scenes or songs from the show for the whole school to try to drum up interest. Um, and one scene that I was singing something and like just at like that perfect moment of like silence someone was just like you're a fucking fag no one in a position of power and when no grown up could were no one was able to pinpoint where it came from mm. or who it or who had said it and so the the lack of action is implicit acceptance in the behavior Lack of action, lack of compassion. I remember one time in a math class, people got, you know, paired up randomly to work on a project. And this one kid was like, I'm not working with that fag. And it was, it was just kind of like, all, all right, class, settle down. Yeah. And I was like, that, what? And it's the normalization that is awful. So you watch 80s movies that are G-rated. And there's always at least one scene where someone goes, I'm not a fag. Mm-hmm. And, you think, and, and oddly enough, it's, it's not so much the use of the terminology or the use of the abuse. That is what is offensive. It is the fact that it is normalized and acceptable yeah. and can appear in a G-rated movie. And then people wonder why it slips into playgrounds and it's thrown in We're just going to gloss over it. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to gloss right by it.
The older I got, the more it was hide it, hide it, hide it, have girlfriends, sleep with girls that will that will make it go away. And so what did stamping on your own identity do to you? I regret so much. I have I have so many regrets and I feel like there was just so much wasted time. And I'm, I'm still angry about it. So much was lost. And it was beyond my control. What were you seeing around you amongst your peers that you felt they were having that was being denied you? It was a very farmer-based school. And by that, I mean it had one of the largest FFA programs in the state. FFA was Future Farmers of America. So the high school that I went to was very much this kind of like white heteronormative shit kicking cow tipping stuff that I was like, well, I don't, I don't fit in here at all. Not even, not even a little bit. It's that odd thing, isn't it? Where either you don't fit into the world around you or you don't fit into yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to constantly oscillate between the two of those, depending on how brave or how strong you're feeling. And, but at that time, I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't fit in either way. I didn't fit in with, with the outside world, but I also didn't feel like I fit in with myself because I was, you know, I was raised Catholic. And so I had that inner argument going with myself. I've always imagined, uh, because I grew up on so many films, American films that things like the prom are just mm. uh, must book so many people so many months or years on a couch. And even that awful run up and, and who's asking who and just, I can't imagine that. What was it like? I did not go to my prom. In fact, I had to leave my school um, pretty early into my senior year uh, due to <laughs> threats of physical harm. So I had to actually finish uh, high school um, with a tutor who was actually one of my teachers from the high school, a, a wonderful woman. But uh, yeah, I, I actually had to stop going to the high school. I didn't go to prom. I didn't go to my high school graduation. I finished, uh, you know, with, with my tutor in, in the library. I guess maybe I could have or should have tried to fight harder to get out. And by get out, I don't mean like just stop going to school and finishing with a tutor. I should have, I should have, I should have tried everything in my power as a 16 year old to, to leave that, that town. It wasn't just the school. It was the school. It was the town. It was the people. It but is that not unfair on yourself? Because realistically, how much power do we have as 16 year olds? I think it's it's easy for us to look back on adults and go, if only I'd done this and how stupid of me not to. But really, sure. when we're 16, how much how much power do we have? Right, none or very little. 
but I want to think I, I I want to believe that I had more uh, more power and more chutzpah than I actually did. I think people in movies do and in musicals. Ah. <laughs> but that's because that's because they get to have acts two and three already pre-written, whereas when right. we're sixteen, we don't. Right. Yep. During all of this, what was your refuge? Theater and music. Theater and music. I, my, my, I watched so many old movies with my mom, including musicals. And then I would start listening to, you know, cast albums, Carol Burnett in Once Upon a Mattress and um, Oliver. And then I heard a chorus line when I was about 11 or 12. And I was just blown away. I remember being on like a little, like whatever local beach or swimming hole was in the town. And I would, and I was on the blanket with my little Walkman cassette tape of a chorus line. And I was just hearing all of those harmonies going on and the stories that were being told. And I was like, my God, this is amazing. Because of course, to those, those listening to this who are younger, we didn't have YouTube. So the concept of on-demand entertainment was absent. If we wanted the original, you know, London cast recording of Les Miserables, we had to go to a record store and buy it, or we had to you know, source it from somewhere, and, and we had to wait, and we had to choose, or we had to rely on, on commissioning editors of TV networks to broadcast these things. We, you know, we weren't empowered that we could easily find this content for ourselves. Um, I didn't have AOL. I didn't have internet. I didn't even have a computer uh, until I was about, God, 16 or 17. So uh, you would have to go to um, a store and buy either the cassette or the CD. CDs were, were a thing then. Um, or you would go to the library and, and, and borrow. I had moved out of my family's house when I was 17. My husband and I, high school sweethearts, um, we moved out when we were 16, 17. So we were just working retail for years. So you um, met your partner in Kentucky? Uh, Connecticut, not Connecticut, Kentucky. Sorry. Jesus Christ, Daniel. <laughs> I'm gonna miss, I'll sing the wrong song at the wrong beat. Uh, no, we actually, yeah, no, he grew up in a different part of Connecticut. And we met uh, in an AOL chat room uh, talking about his love of Tori Amos and my love of Paula Cole. Wonderful. That's how we met. And by the time we were 17, we were out on our own. What did it feel like not being alone in the world? With a partner? Yeah. I'd suddenly feeling you just had a natural validation every moment of the day without actually having to seek it. Oh, it was lovely. It still is lovely. I mean, I, I'm incredibly fortunate to have found one partner. I managed to find two, and we're all on the same page about what our relationship is. So, I'm incredibly fortunate. How many times can you say that I'm sorry?
Hey, this is John from the Song Surfing Podcast. Song Surfing is a playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. I've been searching for music on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, Slaps, Audius, Instagram, and a few others. And in each episode of Song Surfing, I present some excellent tunes by a diverse group of interesting independent artists. So if you like to discover new artists and explore some music from around the world, then come Song Surfing with me. Song Surfing is available on all podcast apps, as well as Spotify and Amazon. Every young actor is like, you know, um, so long as I'm a working actor, it doesn't have to be Broadway, but so long as I'm a working actor. And I was kind of like, yeah, but no, I want to be on Broadway. Like, that's, that's the goal. That's the dream, you know? And I tried for a long time, for years, to to make that a reality. And, you know, I booked jobs uh, off Broadway and, and, and theater festivals and, and regional theater outside of New York, dinner theater, you know, all the things that you're supposed to do to uh, build your resume. I never looked right. I never sounded right. I was not the right weight. I was not the right height. My hair wasn't right. My nose isn't right. My face isn't like, I just, I, everything about it, I felt I was constantly wrong. I was constantly out of place and I did not belong there. If people don't want to fuck you, they're not going to want to listen to you. They're not going to want to buy your music or, or stream your stuff. Like, if, if, if you're not posting the jockstrap and shirtless pic that has them drooling, they're not really going to give a shit. I saw him run. I saw him play. I saw him swing and I heard him sing. It was um, 2015, so I was still uh, writing my own music and, and still auditioning. New York City. My father passed away. In the rain. I had so many feelings about my dad dying. We had, a, we had a good relationship, but it was a complicated relationship. And uh, he passed kind of unexpectedly, but not completely unexpectedly. And I have so much of him. He had his own forms of anxiety that he never wanted to address. And I have so much of that stuff that I, 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 I wasn't sure where to put it. And the therapist I was seeing at the time was like, I think you're suffering from complicated grief. So I, I just needed to sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna just write something e- either for him or about him, but try to, I, I needed to try to get it off of me. But what we love is his land. I was at the time, one of my day jobs was uh, playing music for these things called Mommy and Me music classes. And I resent the term Mommy and Me because I'm like, well, Sometimes it's not mommy, sometimes it's daddy, sometimes it's 
uh, a caregiver. So I, I, I refer to him as the grown-up in me, music classes. And I was really, I was good at it. And the kids really responded. And a lot of families were like, you should be in education. You should be a teacher. These kids really respond to you. Everything just fell into place. I didn't have to struggle the way I was struggling with theater. And I did exactly what you're not supposed to do when, when, when you're overcome with grief. I, I made a, a life-altering decision. I was like, nope, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't do the art thing anymore. I can't do the theater thing anymore. It's just not realistic. It's not happening. It's not going to happen for me. So I went and got my master's degree in elementary education, and I've been working as a teacher ever since. But what we'd give to hear him All I want to do, quite honestly, is perform in queer spaces. That's really all I want to do. Anytime anyone asks me to like um, guest at one of their uh, their evenings, I'm like, okay, is it a queer space? It's curious a lot of the time the people who say, I don't understand why you need them, because you think, well, you wouldn't, because right. you're generally a white heterosexual man. And whenever you don't see yourself reflected back in anything, be it a piece of music or a commercial or whatever, you start screaming, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. And you think of yourself as the neutral. What you don't realize is that you're not a neutral. You are just as much the other to people who aren't white, straight men as we are to you. Right. Your, your entire existence isn't politicized isn't debated, isn't threatened, you know? So don't, please don't tell me what I, what I need or what I don't need or what I should or shouldn't do. Yeah. Hard and pass. we can so easily have our rights taken away from us just as quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't get it. You don't understand it. So don't question it, please. Yeah. How important is it for you that your audiences listen to your music knowing that you're a gay man? I think it's incredibly important for audiences to know that what they're listening to is not, I think, maybe what they would associate a queer musician with instantly. We do, I think, often feel that oppression that we have to be the fun one or we have to be this or we have to be that. And so seeing ourselves reflected in other styles of music with other narratives that aren't mm. necessarily narratives about fucking. You know, narratives right. about grief. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't hide any of that in my lyrics or, or even when I'm bantering during a show. Like, it's, it's, it's all there. I don't feel the need to, to mask it or hide it or, or any of that stuff because representation matters so much. Yeah. So, so much. There are lonely people in small towns who might be stumbling on your music thinking, Goodness me, because of Vincent's music, I can look through a keyhole and see a future. Oh, that's tremendously fulfilling. Uh, but I always just assume no one's, no one's listening, no one's clicking, no one cares. And that's fine. I'm not like, 
saying that as a, you know, oh, no one's finding me. Um, I just, I just, I, like, I, I put it out and I'm like, all right, whatever. whatever. I just assume no one's going to listen to it. At one time I did a show at Stonewall and it was part of like an evening of, of a lot of queer artists and a lot of, a lot of them were pop dance stuff. So they're doing their thing and then I come on with my fucking ukulele singing my song about my dead dad and then I get off and this drag queen was like, wow, that's too sad. And I'm like, mm. or maybe it's my art. Yeah. I'm not telling you how to paint your face. So, you know. So what would your 15 year old self think of your music? So he is someone who listens to all of these introspective women balled up in a corner <laughs> more often than not weeping at whatever lyric uh, struck me that, that day or that night. But I, I spent a lot of my time just kind of doing that and trying to survive with that. So I think that person would probably maybe hear what I've done and, and kind of go, huh, that's more than I thought you'd do. Do you think you'd be proud? I, I so often introduce myself as a failed singer, songwriter, actor. That's like my, my, my thing. You know, someone's like, oh, what do you do? And I, oh, and, and instead of saying I'm an educator or, or I'm an educator who also creates content, I, it, I, I think I'm being funny, but I don't know if I think I'm like, being funny by masking. I, I don't know, but I'd like to think that the 15 year old self would be proud and not ashamed or frustrated that it didn't all work out the way that I had hoped it would. If I was to pick one of your pieces of music that would be a gateway drug into your catalog, what would it be? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, oh God, this is a real kill your darlings moment, isn't it? Ah, uh, I, I want, I want to say the song that word. I, I, it's, it's, it's upbeat, which is a little rare for me, but it's, I think it's catchy. I think it's fun. I think there's a little tongue in cheek to the lyric. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like that's like a real fun like oh i might want to listen but then i wouldn't want that person to hear that and think all of my stuff is that because then they get gobsmacked with a whole shit ton of sad crap no don't worry you can lure <laughs> them in on false pretenses once they're in they're in story of my life that's how i that's how i get them
Thank Darling, you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for so much of your time. Oh my gosh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Many thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for the Spotify playlist that complements this episode. And remember, there's exclusive content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. To get in touch, it'll be great to hear from you. The pod's on social media or email me on dan at in the key of and rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really, really helps. Our theme tune is by Paulie Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Many thanks to Kajun Kanfer and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall, and made at Pup Media Consultancy. See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.